The capsized cargo ship, the Golden Ray, is still trapped in St. Simon's Sound. The process of removing the ship is so complex it could take months or even a year. The wreckage has dealt a blow to the local economy, and oil leaking from the vessel vessel puts the Sound's delicate marsh ecosystem at risk. While scientists are working to trace the leak and limit its impact, GBB's Emily Joan reports on potential disagreement about how far that oil is spread. It's before dawn at the Champney River boat ramp, about half an hour north of where the Golden Ray sits looming over the St. Simons Pier. By the beam of his cell phone's flashlight, Fletcher Sams with Altamaha Riverkeeper can see a sheen on the water. It's hard to see, but you see, like, I'm not talking about the brown color, I'm talking about the film on the top, but do you see how quickly it comes back? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sams uses a stick to break up the oily film on the top of the water. It reforms the second he pulls out the stick, a sign that it's oil and not something natural. Poking it with a stick is the scientific method just to see. Of course, the actual scientific method is a lot more sophisticated. A researcher from UGA pulls on waders and strides into the dark water to collect a sample. Others from all over the region came from places with oil in the water, on the ground, and coating marsh grass. The samples are headed back to Athens for testing in the lab. Every hydrocarbon is is distinct and it has a, a fingerprint. That's oceanographer and UGA professor Samantha Joy. She was one of the lead researchers on the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. She's recognized as an international expert. We extract the hydrocarbons out of those samples and then we run them on um, this really fancy instrument and we can determine what's in there. They can not only tell what kind of oil it is, they can specifically match it to other samples. Joy isn't the only one doing this kind of fingerprinting. Doug Haymans is with the State Department of Natural Resources. He's part of Unified Command, the joint response effort of the state, the Coast Guard, and the responsible party, Gallagher Marine. He wants to make sure the oil they find definitely came from the ship. There are things that have been picked up in those water quality samples that we have seen in this estuary prior to this incident. Um, And so, you know, that's where the real work is going to be is determining whether or not anything that we're seeing is because of the incident. The only way for either Joy or Haymans to be sure where the oil came from is to compare it to a sample from the ship. Unified Command has that sample. Joy does not. Haymans says releasing the sample will be handled on a case-by-case basis based on request. Joy has requested it. What troubles Joy is that while she is willing to share what she's learning about the oil spread, Unified Command has so far not shared with her as much as she'd like. She says that could put Georgia communities on the back foot. Imagine a year, a year and a half from now, when there's litigation and a settlement, what ecosystems along coastal Georgia were damaged from this spill? We have to be able to answer that question in a robust way that protects the people and ecosystems of the state of Georgia. Heyman says Unified Command is collecting samples weekly from 22 sites in the surrounding waterways and coastlines. Joy, on the other hand, is going wherever there's oil and water. If she could compare her samples to the fuel and oil from the Golden Ray, it might paint a more far-reaching picture of the spill. Doug Heyman's again. So we hope that when this is all over, the work that the University of Georgia is doing uh, and the work that Unified Command is doing will help tell a complete story. But Joy says when this is all over isn't soon enough when there's oil spreading through the marshes of Glynn County and maybe beyond right now. That is GPB's Emily Jones. She's also on the line with us from our Savannah Bureau. Doug Haymans is with us. He's on the line from Brunswick State 
he's the state's on-scene coordinator for the Golden Ray response, so part of that unified command that we just heard about. He's with the Georgia Department of Natural Resources and Rod Sullivan, a maritime lawyer, lawyer who's represented both plaintiffs and defendants in cases of ships that have suffered accidents. On the line from Jacksonville, Florida, thank you all so much for being with us. But I'm going to start with Doug because we just heard the state 22 test sites to figure out how far the soil has gone. Professor Joyce says it's reached beyond those sites. How would you respond? Well, first of all, I think you uh, you ought to at least update Emily's story. Uh, that, that was put together a couple of weeks ago. We have been 35 days without a release of oil from the overturned uh, car carrier. Uh, we Again, we've seen nothing coming from that ship in over 35 days, and that's a very positive thing. Uh, to the water quality samples, again, 22 samples weekly, and we haven't seen anything that causes us concern from those samples throughout the estuary or from the areas just outside of, of uh, St. Simon Sound. Okay, just to update, that story was actually filed last week. But, Rod, I want to ask, Joy, Joy said it's important to track all the oil that's leaked from the Golden Ray for litigation purposes. You're a maritime lawyer. Do you think she's right? What, what purpose would that serve? No, no, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily think it's right because I really think the story is here is how little oil has escaped from this vessel. I mean, you have an overturned vessel with 450,000 gallons of fuel oil loaded with lube oil and 4,400 cars with gasoline and motor oil in them. And the average from the ship is really fairly insignificant. I mean, I've been up there on the marshes. You have to search hard to try to find traces of oil. And the thing about oil and gasoline is that when it hits the water, it spreads out into a slick that's micron thick. So you don't, this is not a deep water horizon. This is not an Exxon Valdez. This is a situation where there has been a relatively small amount of oil dropped on St. Simon's Sound that has spread out. I'm not really sure what the environmental effects of that is, but we, we shouldn't be treating this the same way we treated, for instance, the Deepwater Horizon spill, which was a significant amount of oil over a long period of time. Doug, I want to ask you, beyond tracking the oil, the immediate need is to contain it. And we know there are plans to remove the ship, but they're not yet finalized, so you can't talk about that. But how about this strategy to keep oil and debris from a wreckage, from this wreckage in one place? Well, again, uh, you're Rod just said it. Now, this has been very little leakage from this ship. It was uh, what we called burps from the vent stacks in the first few weeks. Those vent stacks have been capped, and those tanks have been drained. There's been 302,000 gallons thus far that have been lightered from the ship. There are skimmers on scene. There's hard boom on scene, absorbent uh, boom on scene, and crews are uh, surrounding the ship all, at all points of, the, of daylight hours in case anything else is is spilled. Uh, but uh, for the last month, they've had little to do on the water actually tracking oil. Well, this ship is the size of a 70-story building carrying about 4,000 Hyundai and Kia cars, so huge and weighs thousands of tons. Now, we know you can't tell us unified command plans for getting it out of the water, but best guess, what do you think officials will do? Well, so there's, there's been a, they've already announced, of course, that the boat cannot be righted safely. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it is, uh, I'll say, distorting its, under its own weight, and so it won't ever sail again. And so the salvagers have told us this has become a, a, a wreck that they're going to have to dismantle in place. 
Um, the salvage company that is on scene has done this around the world. They are, you know, global experts in this field. The, uh, the insurers have given them a certain amount of time to come forward with their plan. And that time, uh, is, that, is actually up this week. So we hope by week's end that we will have a better idea of how they will be dismantling the ship. You know, from a Department of Natural Resources standpoint and from the United States Coast Guard, you know, we want it to be as environmentally sound, environmentally friendly as it possibly can be, realize that they're going to have to cut this ship into pieces where it sits. I'm wondering, Emily, if you have any thoughts on what you've heard so far. Uh, you've done a lot of reporting on the ground, but wondering if you have any thoughts on either what people are saying about how it should be done or what the economic toll might be. I'm sorry, environmental toll. <laughs> um, the, the main concern that I've that I've heard from from folks on the ground, or or you know, better to say, perhaps folks on the water, uh, is that um, they they are seeing a bit of an economic toll. It's difficult to say what that toll is yet at this point. But you know, I spoke to to people who like run fishing charters, for instance, and they've had people cancel their charter trips, and they're you know sort of having to take people farther afield to make sure that they are not fishing in areas where um, there is oil or what looks like it might be oil in the water, and so that you know that cuts into their profit margin. So they they are are really concerned about that. Um, and they also just have a lot of questions about, you know, how long this is going to take and, and whether there are going to be long-term impacts on their businesses as well. Rod, how about for you? How about the shipping companies that are using the port? What might this be costing them? And who is actually paying for the cleanup? Well, first of all, let's talk about the economic impact. If this salvage costs, let's say, $200 million or up to a half a billion dollars, somewhere between 70 to 75% of that money is going to be spent in the local economy. Right now, there are 400 people on site working in and around St. Simon's Island that wouldn't be there otherwise. That contributes to the economy. There are 80 vessels there. So a lot of this is going to be recouped by the local, by local businesses, whether it be hotels, vessel operators, and the like. There's going to be a, a, a positive financial impact as a result of this. Now, so this you're process, proposing this as a sort of net gain? Well, I don't know about I'd go that far, but I think that when you when you're talking about fishermen losing charters for for, you know, what they might get 500 to 1000 dollars a day compared to this company coming in and spending a million dollars a day, um I think that the more significant impact is the impact of of Smith and the other salvors being in the Brunswick area. All right, just let me warn you, we've got about 20 seconds left, Rod. Well, the other thing is this is going to take a year or more. So people have to get used to the idea that this vessel is going to be in place. The idea, the, the cutting it up and taking it away is a process that's going to take a long period of time. And so they're going to get a, long, a chance to see this highly technical operation going on for for many, many months, if not more than a year. Well, obviously, a continuing story. I want to thank Rod Sullivan, Emily Jones, and also we want to thank Doug for joining us from the Unified Command. That is Doug Hamans. We'll be back with more of On Second Thought in just a minute.